Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast. Today we've got Caitlin and Alex joining us from R&D360. Thanks for coming in, guys. No worries. Um, just tell us a little bit about your background, Caitlin, Alex, what you've um, been doing and uh, how you got involved in R&D. Yeah, so um, my name's Caitlin. Um, I started off with studying science and always okay. really passionate about science and innovation. Um, I did chemistry initially, Bachelor of Science and Mm-hmm. But I was sort of wanting to go a bit further than just working in a lab. Um, so post-grad went and studied a Master of Business for Science and Technology, which is a course that's all about teaching scientists and engineers how to commercialise technology. Nice. Okay. Um, also a bit of an entrepreneurship type course. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, worked at CSIRO for a little bit, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. doing strategic analysis to work out you know, how their research is going and the commercial viability of research. And... After that, landed in R&D tax, which mm. um, tax is not normally your next foray after <laughs> <No>. <laughs> being really interested in science, yes. but um, it's a very niche area of um, mm-hmm. tax legislation, mm-hmm. and it's um, all about helping companies get um, funding support for their research. So I did that in KPMG for a little bit in uh-huh. Australia and then over in London, and then when I came back, um, I'd met Alex at KPMG mm-hmm. and the the two other founders of the business, Mark and Martin, yes. mm-hmm. at KPMG. Um, so I'll hand over to Alex, who'll probably explain the next little chapter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, my background is uh, electronics engineering. I actually finished uh, uh, Comench at the RMIT, and mm-hmm. I worked in the industry for about 22, 23 years. Yes. Um, I sort of designed hardware, software, embedded software, uh, application software. Uh, my last job was actually working for a company called Ray Innovations, uh, uh-huh. uh, and they sort of uh, specialized in biomedical devices. Uh, the project I was working for was air traffic control system for military and civilian applications. Um, and then one of my friends was actually working at KPMG, and I started doing the MBA just simply just to fill in the days. Um, <laughs> just something to do, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, nice little hobby. there was a. <laughs> So she mentioned that there was a job going uh, at R&D Tax. So I always thought, you know, like grass is always greener. And, you know, I decided to go and sort of work for the dark force. You know, like I, I never knew what R&D Tax was. Uh, but certainly uh, ability to work with innovation companies. I always sort of was interested in various areas of technology outside of uh, uh, electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, sort of ended up and spent 14 years at uh, KPMG, and then a couple of years at uh, PwC, and then um, my business partner Mark and Martin sort of we sort of decided um, to start our own sort of uh, little consultancy group yes. called R&D 360, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, basically provides the expertise that usually sits within the big four accounting firms, yes. but provides it for a small end of town at a reasonable price. Um, and, you know, here we are two years later. Uh, yes. And, <laughs> and we've been working with you for a little while now, so yeah. through PwC, KPMG, yeah. and now R&D 360, I think it's about yeah. six years now. Yeah. So what got you interested in R&D tax? So you were clearly building technology, working on flight traffic control systems. What was interesting about putting your documentation, helping businesses generate some extra revenue from government to help them build tech? Yeah. Uh, I suppose... Uh, when you are a technical person uh-huh. uh, and working in sort of in R and D, and sort of it's very rarely you sort of, uh, particularly when a young engineer, you, you come across the financial mm-hmm. side of things. Uh, you sort of technology is what you concentrate on. Yes. But then, as you progress through the 
the years. So some of people started asking you these questions. Mm -hmm. You know, can you allocate some budget and how does it actually work and what's the return on investment? Uh -huh. And you know, so it's all sound foreign to me. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you sort of realize that without going through those hoops and answering yes. those questions, none of the projects that you actually want to do mm. will ever get off the ground. Okay. Uh, and then there is this other unknown uh, sort of scarecrow thing, which is tax, you know, uh -huh. it comes in unexpectedly and yes. sort of uh, hits the companies uh -huh. and suddenly the projects grind to halt because you have a debt to the ATO. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's uh, adds another level of complexity. And yes. I think at that point in time, I was quite interested in how do you actually un untangle that Interesting. Okay. And Caitlin, yourself? So yeah, I think what was the jump? A similar thing in, uh -huh. in that we really help. You see, it's very uh -huh. rewarding to mm. see companies really benefit from R&D tax uh -huh. uh, funding. And you really see that it does help incentivize mm. projects um, and helps companies that are really starting out, but also mm. well-established companies commercialize new technology. That for me is very rewarding. Um, also just the variety that we, we get day to day is pretty interesting you know we work with lots of different companies yeah, okay. from um, yeah. FMCG you yep. know large FMCG companies mm -hmm. to small technology software companies yes. mm -hmm. um, and everything in between so it's it's quite an interesting um, career to have yeah. yeah all different projects all different varieties of R&D I would imagine yeah, um, yeah. from lots, say from our perspective it's a fairly creative yes <laughs> job as well in the write-ups that you need to do for some of those yes. projects yeah it's quite an, an interesting style of writing to articulate why why projects are eligible mm -hmm. and they are entitled to this funding yes. so mm -hmm. um, and we have to do that for different scientific disciplines from geotechnical engineering mm -hmm. to software development um, mm. and you know all sorts of things so yeah yeah so Today we got you on really just to have a brief chat around what R&D tax is. Now, we're talking to non-techs really building technology. They can be in startup land. They can be in businesses as well that are looking to invest and invest into their own IP. Um, what's the starting block? I'm, I'm building some tech. What do I need to know about getting access to some R&D incentives? And where should I really start if I um, perceive that I could be doing something that could get some benefit? Oh, yeah, I'll have a go at answering that one. Um, so, as if the first starting point is your is is your company eligible? So, yes. uh, only certain types of companies or entities can claim. So, okay. the first question we normally ask is, do you have a company that's incorporated in Australia? Mm -hmm. um, if you don't, there are other types of companies that can qualify for mm -hmm. incorporated in a foreign company um, where there's a double tax cream and all these other. Um, things yes. play into it, but mm -hmm. normally if you've got a PTY LTD company, that's a good starting point. Yep. There are uh, other criteria, so certain entities can't claim trusts, for example, or um, okay. limited partnerships. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first starting point, working out if you've got an eligible entity that you can make a claim in. Um, the, next, the next hurdle is around the R&D itself and whether mm -hmm. or not it qualifies from a technical perspective. Yes. Um, and there are a couple of things we look for. So the first thing is, what are you building? So. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to have demonstrated or you need to be able to demonstrate that you intend to develop a new something that's new or improved and it might be a product, a process, a system or a device. Okay. In doing that you need to be developing new scientific or technical knowledge in a uh -huh. particular field. Um, mm -hmm. So that might be in software engineering or mm -hmm. in other scientific fields. New as in new to everybody or new to your organisation? New to the public domain. Okay. So mm -hmm. it might be new to the world um, or if it's not new to the world and a competitor is doing it, for example, the, mm -hmm. the knowledge on yes. that new knowledge can't be publicly available. So okay. there's an expectation there if you're a startup and you're mm -hmm. developing a new technology mm -hmm. that you'll do a Google search, you'll do literature yes. reviews, you'll do 
a decent amount of background research uh -huh. to make sure that you're not repeating something that's already been done before. Yes. Yep. Um, the third the key thing that we look for is an experimental process. Um, okay. You need to be able to demonstrate you've done a core R&D activity and that's something that proceeds from hypothesis through uh -huh. experimentation, through a, a systematic program of work, mm -hmm. to, a, to an outcome. Okay. Um, so you need to be able to, a hypothesis is really a problem, a problem statement. So you propose a particular solution and mm -hmm. you, you test that hypothesis. Um, so you're going in blind. You're just assuming that, yes, we might be able to do this and yep. this is the way we could approach it, but that could change too, I imagine. Exactly. Yep. And, and you need to be able to articulate that there are unknowns uh -huh. associated with that experimental method. Yes. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's no feasible way based on the level of public publicly mm -hmm. available information in the, mm -hmm. in the domain that you could reasonably predict what's going to happen. Okay. So you need okay. to be able to say, oh, well, all of these three or four things could go wrong. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're developing a a predictive algorithm for yes. a software program mm -hmm. based on the information and the data that's already out there you you really cannot predict whether or not uh, that algorithm is accurate or reliable mm -hmm. um, or scalable so there's there's those sorts of considerations that they're the key things that we look for so it's okay. good to think about there so there's complexity of what you're building clearly mm. so something running the mill is nearly not going to cut it if you're building a, a basic data management system potentially yep. going to have some trouble getting some R&D tax incentives I would imagine yeah um, but if you've got some, I don't know, AI is a buzzword now. Uh, if you're building a bit of AI algorithmic stuff in the background that you don't know about, not sure about, that's something that potentially you might be able to claim. Yeah. Okay. The Oz Industry, so uh -huh. one of the regulators of the R&D tax incentive, yes. they're releasing a lot more guidance, mm -hmm. or they have recently released a lot more guidance around okay. software development. So we can help companies understand mm -hmm. that because it yes. is a complex area. Mm -hmm. um, but routine software development just won't, mm -hmm. won't cut it. You need okay. to be able to do something that's mm -hmm. demonstrate you're doing something that's quite innovative. Okay. Alex, I'm not sure if we've got I remember in the past, if the company had a website, yes, um, they could they they actually were tempted to claim because for the website, uh, yeah, <laughs> because at the time you know the websites yeah. were something new, you yes. know, nobody knew how to do them, uh -huh. you know, they had to almost handcraft them using raw HTML. Yes. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I mean, the technology progresses. You know, mm -hmm. claiming the website is is, yes. is is no longer an eligible activity. But mm. having having said that. There are websites and are websites. Yes, and, correct. And uh, you know, some websites might look very simple, mm -hmm. but the, behind this simplicity could be a lot of complexity mm -hmm. and a lot of internals of algorithmic work that actually make it look simple. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So from that point of view, uh, if you're building something that uh, you know got a lot of technology behind it, but yes. reasonably simple, sort of in the front, you know, there mm -hmm. certainly might be R and D there yeah. as well. So let's, can we jump into some examples of what is claimable and what's not? So what have you seen along the journey of things that um, customers perceive to be claimable but haven't? So we'll give us some examples of that so people get some clarity on what non-claimable things might be. What an activity that yeah. they're doing is worth trying to claim. Yeah. Yeah. Probably um, just to go by the guidelines that are provided mm -hmm. by the regulator. Yes. Uh, they say that like routine software development. Mm -hmm. uh, now, how do you define routine? Yes. They say like user interface design. Uh -huh. uh, they say that cannot be what they call the core activity. It's not like an experimental activity. Okay. Um, uh, some simple sort of database design or mm -hmm. accounting system mm -hmm. sort of uh, add-on that you, yes. you put in for a payroll system. Uh -huh. So essentially, it's something that you get a well-trained professional mm -hmm. and you just give them a task. Yes. And they just go through the motions and execute it. And they, okay. of course, everything in software needs to be tested. Uh -huh. But, you know, really the outcome is never in doubt. You know, like if it's not that guy who might be 
claiming to be a professional but not good enough, not skilled, okay. you might get a skilled person to actually to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, um, there are some things like when you develop, let's say, a predictive algorithm or mm-hmm. you're trying to get your system to scale to God knows how many users. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you want to do it linearly without kind of building that algorithm or coding it first and then sort of running it through developing a, a system to test it initially in your own office uh, uh-huh. somehow to develop a, an emulator for what are you actually going to be testing then yes. actually finding a, a, a client that is a friendly enough to actually to be a guinea pig for you mm-hmm. and then eventually releasing it into the wild mm. and just still observing you know what was actually happening with um, with your system and uh, uh, whether some of the things you could not potentially even encounter unless you actually test it in a real life environment. Mm-hmm. So from that point of view, just recording these trials and tribulations as you go through, okay. so actually that's, uh, and putting it probably like in the form of a diary or, you know, if you put it in Jira or something like that, but essentially saying that there is an experiment going on and we're testing for certain criteria. Uh, so that will provide you the evidence that is needed. Because unfortunately, the regulators, they're uh-huh. actually evidence-based. So you have to have, you know, like... Uh, um, you, you have to provide them with uh, something that they will actually say, yeah, we understand, and mm-hmm. that's a document, and it has to be contempor- contemporaneous as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think the more sort of you record, like, I think probably to step back from the IT world into the science world uh, as, we, as we know it. In the past, you know, scientists working in a lab would have a lab book, and in the lab book, they were actually recording right? not everything down. <laughs> yep. yes. uh, nowadays, you know, hardly anybody uses notebooks. They might uh-huh. use iPads and yes. stuff like that. But you have to create an equivalent of that notebook, uh, which essentially be primarily useful to yourself. And maybe if you're an, a, a researcher or mm-hmm. a developer, you actually, if your boss comes to you and says, what, what have you been doing lately? You know, you can actually kind of produce it and say, that's, I've been working on this, I've been testing yes. this, I've been testing something else. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you know, imagine the regulator or like from ATO or the industry, they're coming in and asking you. So if you can produce something like that, it's, mm-hmm. it's a gold standard. Okay, so yeah. it's a journal, basically, yeah, that, of your correct. activities throughout the process. That, that's correct. Yes. Okay. A couple of areas that um, clients sometimes raise and want to know if R and there is R&D there. Like one area is often data migration is something where... The, the software guidance specifically says it's, it's not necessarily easily able to demonstrate that okay. it's a core R&D activity. Mm-hmm. It might be supporting ongoing experimental activities, but data migration, migration itself is probably not something that's a core R&D activity. Yep. Mm-hmm. However, if you develop a complex coding algorithm or a specific software program that may, enables you to do that faster or for complex data formats, or mm-hmm. there might be R&D in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's those sorts of routine software development steps that in, in themselves aren't R&D, but if you're trying to do them differently or in a more complex or fast way, yep. there may be R&D associated with that. So if you took the perspective where you try and develop that potentially as a product for other people, and in that scenario, then that would have potentially more chance of being claimable? If you're well, not necessarily. Developed. So if you're going to develop that, if you developed an algorithm and then you said, all right, we can probably sell this to other people, so you're bringing a new product to the market, would that then help that claim? Um, if you're developing that's something that's quite innovative and mm-hmm. different to what's been done before, yep. um, then. then it's 
potentially going to have yep. some R&D. It's very difficult to say until you talk to the specific <laughs> yeah, uh, case. I don't know how many conversations we've had with Alex. Yeah. yeah. Or some creative answer that comes out at the end where it helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, normally after yeah. a bit of a discussion, we can get to the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. makes sense. So I think they, uh, just to add something to, uh-huh. to add to it is like, you ask yourself a question, what it was like before and what is it like after you've done the project? And what it was before is actually, that's what your knowledge base or mm-hmm. level was and also mm-hmm. probably the industry uh, knowledge uh, base was. Yes. And then sort of after you've done that project, you sort of, you have that delta, you sort of, you stepped up and hopefully not stepped down. <laughs> uh, uh, but failure is actually good for claiming R&D. If you actually said, by doing this, we can actually improve performance of our system, twi- uh, uh, double the performance, and then actually prove the opposite. Actually, the system performance degraded. Um, that's a failed experiment. So mm-hmm. for R&D, failure is actually almost like uh, it's a good thing because you can actually demonstrate that uh, um, that not every uh, there was uncertainty in the outcome. You know, mm-hmm. you just like you went there blind. You, mm-hmm. you had a hypothesis and it, it failed miserably. So from that point of view, uh, any mishap or you know a, a bug that is difficult to figure out why it's happening. Um, even I remember the project that you were doing where kind of uh, there was a court case of Oracle against Google, and they actually uh, sort of I think it was to do with Java yeah. libraries or H or H files. Was Java and then the Netscape API or something yeah. got shut down. Yeah. And it actually, that created an almost roadblock for, for you as a, as a showstopper. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so you had to come up with a solution that is actually previously was reasonably straightforward. And now you actually have to find your way uh, out of the wilderness. Mm. Um, so from that point of view, um, any challenge that suddenly comes up, no matter what causes it, uh, you, you had to invent something along the way to get yourself out of trouble. Mm-hmm. There's also another criteria that's really important in software, Mm -hmm. and um, that's the internal business administration test. So you can't be seen, it's not eligible if you're doing software development for internal business admin. So developing a better payroll system for your employees or a better Mm -hmm. HR system or Mm -hmm. SAP, those sorts of things for an internal use aren't Mm -hmm. aren't eligible. So you'd want to be able to see that there's a link to something that you can help customers with or yes. something commercial yeah. you can commercialize yeah. it then that yeah. opens that door okay mm-hmm. so if we dive in a little bit about what rd tax incentive is how like we're talking about being a company makes you eligible what the cases might be you've mentioned core activities here what's a core activity mean um within the r d tax incentive what does that actually mean what is core is that what i'm testing yeah, so yep. there's two types of activities we can uh-huh. claim for. There's core R&D activities mm-hmm. and support R&D activities. Okay. So you need a core activity to be able to make a claim. That's your starting point. That's the experiment. Exactly. Yeah. That's your experimental process. So, okay. um, And you can have a number of core activities. You can be doing 10 things or you can be doing one thing. Okay. Um, and you assess them one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, you can also claim for any supporting R&D activities. So that might be testing mm-hmm. or project management activities, documentation, background research and preliminary investigations. Okay. So all the time you spend doing all those other things, team mm-hmm. meetings to discuss the R&D, mm-hmm. that can all be claimed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can claim a combination of, of both core and support. Now, support, can that be, I think we've sort of had this discussion before. Is, so you might be building a core activity, which might be, building this new way where we've got an AR model, 
But then around that AI model, we have to deliver that in a frame of something that's rudimentary software development. Would that be seen as a supporting activity to deliver the new model that we're building? How does that? If it's necessary to do that to yeah. undertake your or mm -hmm. to complete your core experiment, mm -hmm. then it's more than likely that's that's something you can okay. include in the claim. There yes. are probably specific mm -hmm. exclusions that you'd Get need it. to take into account. Mm -hmm. But broadly, mm -hmm. if it's something mm -hmm. that you need to do to complete your experiment, then mm -hmm. we'd look at including that in the claim. Okay, very good. Yeah. Now, what type of businesses can do this? So I'm a technology business. Does it matter what size I am? Does that impact the type of claim that I can generally look for? So there are uh, essentially the R&D tax, uh, the government programs that actually mm -hmm. we're talking about is called R&D tax incentive. Mm -hmm. um, and R&D tax incentive sort of, uh, it, there are two parts to it. Okay. One for the smaller companies and the yes. smaller companies defined as uh, having turnover, which is sales. Yes. Uh, uh, revenue mm -hmm. um, under $20 million a year. Okay. Um, so for those ones, uh, it's called, uh, they, so under current the rules, it's 43.5% refundable tax offset. Refundable so tax offset. Refundable tax offset. Okay. Um, what does for, refundable tax offset mean to some people listening so, out there? So the refundable yeah. tax offset is actually the benefit itself that I should associate with it. It's, it's, it's quite a... Uh, it's quite an interesting concept. The benefit, mm -hmm. just to say that the benefit for the companies can vary depending on their tax payable position. Okay. Uh, I think in the best case scenario for companies, uh, that's where they get the biggest benefit is actually when you are a startup which actually has no revenue mm -hmm. and has incurred a lot of losses in their operations. Okay. So that the benefit can be 43.5 cents in a dollar for a dollar. every dollar spent on R&D. So I spend $100,000 on R&D. If yeah, I want a $100,000 loss, I can get 43000 that, That's back. correct, yeah. Okay. And so then you can put, incentive. That's yeah. right, yeah. And mm -hmm. you put this, if you just think of it uh, almost like a compound interest, like if yes. you get this $43,500 put back into the project, next year you can claim again 43.5% or 43.5%. Yes. And next year, whatever remains out of it. Uh -huh. And so if you actually add it up, the, then for every dollars that you actually spend you uh -huh. end up with something like 70 cents of a refund that mm -hmm. actually get over a number of years it's mm -hmm. better than the government grant yes. you know you apply for the government grant and you get like you have to have uh, like usually it's co-founded uh -huh. you have to for every hundred thousand dollars you have to put hundred thousand of your own mm -hmm. plus the government grant is considered to be a taxable income um, so okay. actually, oh, is it? Yeah, oh, so it actually it's also a taxable income. Uh -huh. uh, when the R&D tax refund uh, is actually, it's, it's non-assessable income. So it actually, you don't have to pay tax on it again. Interesting. So it's a very, very generous program. Mm -hmm. And any startup that is not utilizing it, or at least haven't investigated whether yes. they're eligible, is doing themselves a disfavor. Oh, that's for that's a lot of oh, money. Definitely. In terms of, yeah, if you start it with a couple hundred thousand in a in yeah. a in a business and investing all that, you can get yeah. seventy cents of that back, which is a significant amount of money over the time. So it can make a big impact in terms of how much yeah. runway we have uh, in terms of getting your your product to the line. So yeah, definitely worth investigating if you're out there. Um, so I've basically. I'm under $20 million, I can get 43 cents in a dollar. For those that are a bit bigger than that, they're in organizations building product, what does it mean to them? Yeah, so uh, I'll be talking about uh, like what it is now and yes. also what it might be later in the future because okay. currently there is a legislative, uh, legislative change that mm -hmm. has been proposed and if it happens then it actually becomes a little bit more complicated. But okay. what it is... <laughs> Before we jump into that, what happens if you're making a profit? 
Uh, as a small business. Uh, if you're making a profit as a small business, the amount of cash refund actually decreases. Yep. Uh, but the benefit is actually you're paying less tax. Okay. So, uh, and depending on your position, so the way to explain it, it's a bit of a mouthful. So up to the amount of lot, like up to the amount of losses that you have, you get 43 and a half cents in a dollar. Mm-hmm. After that, your, your benefit is actually uh, 16 cents in a dollar at the moment. It okay. might actually drop down to 13.5 cents in a dollar, okay. but it does still provide a substantial saving for you. Yeah, so if you in the same situation, if you had $100,000, you can get $43,000 off your tax. Uh, no, in a so, long $16,000 off your tax. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, so, I said that word wrong. Yeah. And for large companies, the offset, so instead of being 43 and a half cents mm-hmm. in a dollar, it's mm-hmm. 38 and a half. Okay. Um, so the, the net benefit there, so the equivalent of the 16,000 yep. if you're tax, well, tax paying, uh-huh. um, is eight and a half cents in the dollar. Okay. So um, that, that's not refundable, that R&D tax offset. So if you're in losses, there's not necessarily much. Um, but it adds up to your losses. So yeah. essentially, these losses can be utilised indefinitely. So mm-hmm. You carry it forward. Yeah, you carry okay. it forward. Yeah, so if you're going to be making more profits, you can actually say, yeah, let's keep on making this R&D claim because one day we're actually going to start paying tax. And <laughs> yep. then these losses become very handy because they actually have a value. You know, yep. They're saving us every, like, every year. Every that. year. Mm. Um, and actually, there is currently there is an interesting tax bracket between twenty million dollars a year and fifty million dollars a year companies that actually turnover. The, yeah. uh, turnover where the benefit is eleven cents in a dollar. Okay, so, so yeah, there's all different varieties, yeah. but the best place to be is one of the scariest for a startup is making no money, yeah. spending money, and you'll basically get forty three cents a dollar. That's the best yeah. place to be. That, yeah, okay, is. so it is um, it's definitely something worth looking into if you're in the. The, yeah. the brink of building a product, yeah. um, it will give you some clear additional runway moving forward. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's also, uh, from the point of view of um, if the, a lot of startups looking for investors, and mm-hmm. um, essentially if you tell the investors that you already kind of done your prep work and actually yes. you already established your sort of R&D tax claiming mm-hmm. and you understand the, the process, yep. actually for investors, the big ticks, like actually A, it gives you more runway, but also uh-huh. tells the investors that you're actually not you are sort of on on, on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so Thinking commercially about how yeah. how mm-hmm. to get the most bang for your buck for research that you do. Oh, if yeah. investors putting hundred thousand in, that's worth one hundred fifty, one hundred seventy in some cases, and exactly. it's obviously better for them to yep. get it. So, what are some limitations if I hire contractors, for example, if I develop some stuff overseas? Because people do that. What does it mean to my R and D tax incentive? Yeah, so if you if you hire a contractor to mm-hmm. do R and D activities for you, yes. there are two areas of the legislation you need to satisfy. One of them is mm-hmm. called on own behalf, so that's being able to demonstrate that the contractors are working on your behalf. Okay. And the other ones around expenditure, not at risk. So I'll just go mm-hmm. into those. Yep. On own behalf, um, you need to be able to demonstrate three key criteria. So normally we look for um, being able to demonstrate that you're bearing financial risk for that work. So mm-hmm. um, are you paying them a fixed fee to go away and develop a product and come yes. back? You give them a specification and they come back and you're paying a fixed fee for a product. Mm-hmm. Or are you incurring them at time, incurring that work at a time cost? Are you paying for a materials. set of resources mm-hmm. yeah, to do yep. development as, and augment your team? Okay. So that a time cost is much more time and materials indicative mm-hmm. of a um, financial risk. Mm-hmm. The next thing is around beneficial ownership of the IP. So you need to be able to demonstrate that you've got the ability to commercialize, commercially exploit your IP after it's been developed. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that doesn't mean formal ownership of the IP, so just the ability through an, an exclusive or non-exclusive mm -hmm. license to commercially exploit. So as long as you can commercially exploit, you're okay. Yeah. Um, and the third um, criteria is that you you drive the conduct of the R&D activities. So day to day, you influence how that project progresses, whether it's through choosing specific resources, mm -hmm. choosing what activities those resources are doing, driving yes. the way that in the R&D is being undertaken. Um, so they're the things that are really important to look at when you're working with a third party and they're working on your behalf. So you're really a part of that process. You're not just exactly. Here's an outcome. Go do that for me. You're not. Yeah. You're not paying, asking uh -huh. them to develop a product for you. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're asking them to help you develop the product. Get it. Yep. Bit okay. of a difference there. Yeah. Um, in terms of their being in the space, we understand the difference. Like, yeah. a customer may come to you, or if you're building a product, you might say, "These are my fixed outcomes." build this for me and come back in six months. That's not going to really play it exactly. out, but it's yeah. more of that hands-on approach and helping them and guiding the process as well. Yeah. Okay. The other criteria mm -hmm. there is the expenditure yeah. not at risk part. Mm -hmm. And that's being able to demonstrate that if the R&D fails, that you're on the hook for the mm -hmm. cost of that R&D. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we look, often we'll look at the contract, we'll talk to talk around the liability of the, uh -huh. the R&D and who's, you know, who's at risk if you have to go through the process of development three or four times mm -hmm. and how does that work. Okay. The same happens if you're on the flip side. So if someone's paying you to develop something, uh -huh. those considerations also come into play, but yes. on the opposite. So are they paying you a fixed fee to develop a product or uh -huh. are you really helping them as a team member um, develop that product? Those sorts of things, mm -hmm. it's the same criteria, but on the other side. Yes, yeah, so as okay. a development firm, if you're doing fixed price, the risk is on you. Yes. Whereas yeah. the risk is not on the client. Yes, Yeah, And exactly. then it's the opposite for them. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, probably one way to look at it. If you're mm -hmm. providing like a, if you're a body shop, you're providing people like, uh, labor for hire. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, then whatever things they do for the client is actually mm -hmm. it's a client's R and D. On yep. the other hand, if you sort of quoted a fixed fee for mm -hmm. a product and you know that in the process you'll have to do some R and D and you're on the hook because if you incur overruns, you have to incur warranties, you have uh, liquidated damages. I mean, we looked at lots of contracts and this whole spectrum of uh, different conditions where they can get you if things go wrong. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, like most of the time things don't go wrong and people think oh, it's always small selling but you know it's almost like you know people in the in the restaurants they come in and you know the waiters come in and they serve you dishes and everything's perfect you go to the kitchen and you know like all sorts of hells uh, <laughs> breaking loose there yeah uh, that's where the chaos is yeah. yeah that's where the chaos is and yeah. you have to sort it out you have to deliver on yeah. time you have to deliver sort of nicely packaged and uh -huh. uh, nicely presented so um, from that point of view, if we can demonstrate that that's what actually happened um, and it's different to the routine engineering that, you know, that people are just paying you per hour and you just keep on doing it, doesn't matter what's going to happen at the end. Yeah. That mm. is another benefit of doing an R&D tax incentive claim. It think, makes you think carefully about working yes. with third parties or being mm -hmm. contracted to do R&D. It makes you think commercially about, well, what uh -huh. are the risks for me as a company and, um, you know, is it my IP or their IP? Mm -hmm. So it's quite interesting when you get into those sorts of conversations. Yeah, it's probably things that's probably something you need to consider very early on, right? Yeah. Is yeah. Make yeah. sure it is your some access to at least your IP. Yeah. And uh, most people probably more. overlook it without yeah. even giving it much thought. I think, I think early days when we started out doing what we did, I think people did overlook what IP meant. Mm -hmm. I think people just perceived that they would own the IP and just moved on. 
and then soon stories started to come out that technically no, your developers are like an author of a book um, and they own the IP if you don't hand over the rights to it. Um, and then people started to get a bit more savvy around it. I think it's changed the conversation around IP. I think every single person that comes to me about nine out of 10 ask about IP now. That's Whereas good. when we yeah. started, one in 10 would even ask or even consider asking that question. So the model has changed and people are starting to perceive IP as important, which of course it is, mm. but understanding that they actually own the IP yeah. or and some form to actually commercialize it. At that point, they didn't understand what the IP was. Correct. Yeah. Or yeah. what developing software from our perspective meant for their idea. There yes. are a lot of synergies between yeah. IP and R&D tax around, mm -hmm. you know, if you're developing something new and yeah. you want to patent it, you yes. need to understand what the prior art is. You need to mm -hmm. know what's out there in the public mm -hmm. domain and how you're able to differentiate from that from a technical, mm -hmm. very technical point of view. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's often the same conversation we're having mm -hmm. from an R&D tax point of view. Mm -hmm. Get it. Yeah. I think one of the examples, uh, I might have actually even said it to you in the past, uh -huh. is uh, where sort of to articulate is um, it's uh, there is a very famous patent about the zipper you know? yeah oh yes <laughs> so the zipper is uh, been invented by an american inventor he patented it but the first version of it was just had little metal fingers that actually uh -huh. go into each other and uh, and that kind of worked but not 100 percent because uh -huh. uh, at some angle when you try to pull it apart it actually would got undone uh -huh. so um, so the same inventors kept on thinking about it, how to actually do it. And eventually he came up with the concept of a dimple. You know? mm -hmm. So it's actually this little metal tongue uh, yes. that actually he put a little dimple in it. So it actually became the, the bump, the dimple on one side went into a little dimple mm -hmm. on the other side. Yes. It actually created a, like an interlocking pattern, mm -hmm. pattern. So if you look at the metal zippers, uh, you actually will be able to notice. So he, what he did, he patented a dimple. You know? Oh, okay, uh, not oh. the zipper itself. Because patented a zipper before, so essentially, so he then patented a dimple in, in it, and that's what made the difference, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, from that point of view, um, what we are trying to do is trying to get our clients to articulate what the dimple is, you know, how you're different to, you know, something uh -huh. that is kind of almost there but not quite there. So it doesn't have to be a new revelation; it can yeah. be just slight twist on yeah. what's actually. Yeah, but that twist is actually non-trivial. Yeah, non yeah. yeah. that's yeah. that twist that what makes it possible. It's yes. like you know, you know, what's it called? Uh, in uh, Back to the Future, he says uh, yes. you know, that's when I invented the flux capacitor. That's <laughs> what makes the time travel possible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what's that little novel thing that makes it work? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. So. If, I think we haven't mentioned this though, so I'm setting up a startup and I go, contractors you mentioned, but what happens if my contractors are not in Australia? Does that impact what I do in R&D claim or is it still okay? So uh, if your R&D is, or your core R&D activity yes. is being undertaken in part or wholly overseas, uh -huh. you mm -hmm. can claim it, but you need what's called an overseas finding upfront. Okay. So that's eff effectively seeking upfront agreement with the regulator Oz industry for claiming those R&D activities. Mm -hmm. It's a bit more of a, a detailed process. Yep. Um, it is quite good because you get upfront assurance of whether or not You're actually it's qualifying. Um, and then once you've been through that process, you can include the cost in the claim. Interesting. Uh, okay. But they're not, they're not something you can automatically include. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, limitations of uh, like simply going to the regulator and saying, hey, we've got a dev team in some uh, Asian country or mm -hmm. South, uh, Eastern Europe. Yes. Uh, the, that in itself 
will not get you an advanced overseas finding. Mm. You have to demonstrate that the skills that you're getting there mm -hmm. are not present in Australia. You can't, or skills or facilities or some other limitations, like for example, in medical research, mm -hmm. uh, like Australia might not have the advanced medical facilities or we might not have the population uh, samples that actually needed to be proven that actually it works across different so uh, adds, genetic profiles. It has okay. to add value to the yeah. claim. That's not, not just because it's cheaper. Yes. Yeah, not because it's cheaper, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So okay. if you have, for example, software developers, let's say we haven't got software developers that can actually do certain, mm -hmm. lack certain skills. Or yes. we, like, but in order to demonstrate it, you have to probably go to seek and sort of advertise it for probably six months uh -huh. saying we're trying to get this skill to come get anywhere we can't trying to get mm -hmm. it to come get it for a lot of money mm -hmm. and then sort of we say but we can get that team uh, highly skilled team in india or uh -huh. in, in, in russia so yes mm -hmm. uh, so in that case you have evidence because otherwise a regulator and that's the reason the reason they do it because it's actually to the whole program is there to promote development of uh like innovation in Australia. Within Australia. Within yeah, Australia, correct. using mm -hmm. Australian resources. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. The starting point for, well, for any claim, but particularly where you've got a complexity like an overseas finding mm -hmm. or working with a third party is talking to an R&D advisor. It's just really important to sit mm -hmm. down and go through all the nuances because there are a number mm -hmm. of complexities and nuances to the R&D tax legislation. So um, we've done overseas findings for uh -huh. our clients. So okay. um, it's mm -hmm. quite an area that we have yeah. um, we know well. So it's mm -hmm. definitely good to have a chat first. So definitely yeah. talking upfront because if that yes, was the exactly. case and you went down that road, you couldn't yeah. actually claim. That's right. Yeah. yeah so mm -hmm. Don't wait for the financial year to come around. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In terms of um, when you are claiming, what are the... Is there certain time periods that I have to claim in? Obviously, that is up front if I'm going overseas and doing some stuff there. I need to get that approved. Yeah. If I'm in Australia, what sort of time periods do I have to claim on so a previous year? Yeah, there's two key yeah. parts to an R&D tax claim. Uh -huh. So there's the technical part, which is yep. called an application for... Um, will you register your R&D activity? So mm -hmm. an R&D registration. Yes. Mm -hmm. That you lodge with Oz Industry okay. to effectively uh, regulate whether or not your R&D is eligible from a technical point of view. Yes. Uh, and then there's the tax side. So once you know which projects are eligible and you identify your R&D expenditure, that forms part mm -hmm. of your company tax return in what's called an R&D tax schedule. Yep. Okay. So um, the R&D registration is due 10 months after the end of your financial year. So say you're a junior mm -hmm. end and you're wanting to claim for June um, activities up to June of this year, so June yes. 2020, mm -hmm. you've got until April 2021 to submit your R&D registration. Okay. But the thing that really drives when you're going to do your R&D tax incentive mm -hmm. claim is when you want to lodge your company tax return. Mm -hmm. um, if you say oh, you're a startup and yes. you're in lots of losses and you want to access your cash refund as soon as possible. First of July. First of July, <laughs> perhaps. Um, yeah. You know, you'd probably want to prepare your R&D re registration well before that April deadline. So yes. you'd yeah. probably do it, you know, in July as soon as possible after year end. So okay, it, it. it really just depends on mm -hmm. the company and, and mm -hmm. where you're at. From okay. a tax perspective. And now we've, yeah, we've talked about when. So what is the actual claim itself for people that don't know? Um, what do you have to do to lodge a claim? Yeah, okay. So the R&D register, the first thing you do, I mean, if we talk about what our process is, if we, how we help our yeah. clients, yeah. Um, if you engage an R&D uh, advisor, R&D tax mm -hmm. incentive advisor, so you'll sit down with them and work out which of our activities are eligible mm -hmm. um, and work with them to write up a project description that explains tells industry and the mm -hmm. ATO why they're eligible. Mm -hmm. um, and then that forms part of your R&D registration. You also put other information in there about the cost of the activities, but yes. mainly company information. 
Okay. Um, and you register that with Oz Industry. That's the first part. And in the background, we also prepare the R and D tax schedule, and then that forms part of your company tax return that your accountants lodge. That yep. that is the claim. Um, if you're if you're tax paying and it's acting as a non-refundable tax offset, it mm -hmm. just effectively reduces the tax you pay. Mm -hmm. And then if you if it's a cash refund, that will get administered yep. um, by the ATO. And as a business, what sort, do we need to provide supporting material? I know from our experience, we've had to provide times and costs. Um, the write-ups, the descriptions, what and problems that, were identified. And that journal yeah. that you alluded to a little bit earlier about how you document it. So what do you yeah. need to provide? So the more technical mm -hmm. documentation, mm -hmm. the better, obviously, yep. um, because yeah. that will help with writing up the R&D project description. So you only need to lodge the description itself with Oz Industry initially, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but they actually can request additional technical information if they want to know a little bit more. Yeah, okay. um, so that's called a request for information or effectively an audit of the yep. claim. Um, but to actually make a claim, all you need to do is lodge the description of the R&D activities. So that's okay. on the technical side. Mm -hmm. On the expenditure side, you'll need a bit of information to work out how much R&D has cost. There's mm -hmm. a yes. few things you can include in the claim. Mm -hmm. The main thing people include is staff costs, so time. Yep. Um, um, ideally, that's in timesheets where you've recorded the amount of time you spent on those R&D activities. Mm -hmm. And you can include um, base salary um, on costs like superannuation and work cover. Mm -hmm. So that's the time element. If you're contracting R&D activities out and they, they meet those criteria we discussed before, then you can include those costs um, incurred. Um, other costs might be feedstock costs, so mm -hmm. not so common in software. But feedstock, did you just say? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I thought you did, yeah. but I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. Um, so if you're yeah. an engineer building a new um, yes. or mechanical device, or, uh -huh. I don't know, a med tech or something, medical yep. Yep. technology, you can um, include the cost of prototype materials, so uh -huh. things that you build and okay. scrap um, or um, use in trials. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what else we can include. And also overheads. So company overheads is, a, is another mm -hmm. interesting area. So if you're using your offices mm -hmm. like you guys are to yep. do R&D activities, you may mm -hmm. be able to include a proportion of your rent and mm -hmm. your power bills and other expenses that you use okay. day to day. I think that's all the areas. Yeah, one, one of the things that becomes more and more important, uh, and I think the regulators have um, decided to tighten up the rules a bit, uh, that actually the emphasis on uh, substantiation and mm -hmm. uh, documentation. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose when you deal with a tax office, uh, when you deal with financial matters, unless you have an invoice, unless you have a receipt, you know, there's something to actually to prove that you actually incurred that expenditure. Mm -hmm. That uh, without it, even if you can demonstrate that you've spent the money but have no receipt, actually it will be rejected. Um, and that's kind of accepted by everybody. Uh, Unfortunately, or fortunately, in R&D tax so far, that was a bit loose because there is not equivalent. There is no equivalent of a receipt. You know? yep. So um, certainly, the invoices are still invoices. But for example, like if a person spends their time on something, you have to think about this journal or uh, lab book or um, a Jira or yes. whatever Confluence, mm -hmm. whatever system that you actually use um, for recording your journey through the project. Uh -huh. uh, think of it as an equivalent of a receipt. So if somebody says, you know, you claim that that person's time, uh, times $100 an hour, yes. um, is you're claiming through R&D, and therefore you can get 43.5 cents and a dollar for it, mm -hmm. um, you, you better kind of show us some substantiation document uh, to prove it. Companies are being a bit more proactive in the mm -hmm. way that they prepare these claims, mm -hmm. and especially mm -hmm. if you engage an advisor to help you with yeah, it. It's yeah. about 
working with them during uh -huh. the year as you're doing the R&D activities uh -huh. and working with them to identify what's the, what's the documentation we yeah. already have and mm -hmm. what tiny improvements can we make so that it really satisfies those criteria. Yeah, yep. so it's not often a huge task. No, I imagine um, not. It's something you're doing day to day if exactly. you're actually keeping yeah. track of time logs. And majority yeah. of businesses are, especially if you're in the development world, mm. developing product, there's, there's JIRAs, there's tasks, there's something the that you use. logs even probably. Yeah, so that can obviously help from the perspective of what people are doing. So now you've mentioned a few times advisory. So tell us a little bit about R&D 360 and what you guys do and how you guide customers or clients on this journey of claiming for an R&D tax incentive. Um, I suppose it always starts from mm -hmm. kind of the first discussion yes. and uh, understanding the customer's business. And mm -hmm. because all of us came from a technical background and that's... I think that's a huge advantage because you're not talking to people that just, yeah, yeah, just have no technical background. Yeah, the, it's yeah. going to be hard The questions you've asked me over the years, Alex, are yeah. very technical. Yeah, it's, above, above our head yeah, it's not an accountant <laughs> no. asking me questions. Yeah, yeah. and uh, sort of trying to tease out and what we're trying to do, we, we use certainly use legislation as our guide mm -hmm. uh, and provided you comply with legislation, you have no problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think part of this technical discussion is actually trying to tease out these technical details that yes. I know, for example, from my own experience, the technical person is so focused on it that you think it's like, a, just it's normal, you know, mm. it's a, uh, but in reality, what's normal for you, it's not normal for even your industry colleagues, because uh, you're sort of, you're working on a very specific project with very specific challenges that probably mm -hmm. nobody else tackled before. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uniqueness in the software development that's identified as dimples mm -hmm. yep. that actually allow you to um, to say we're not doing the routine development anymore. You know, we just went beyond the pale, so to speak, uh -huh. yep. um, of routine development. Um, and uh, yeah, identifying them and then saying building a story. And I said, yeah, we initially thought it was a walk in the park. But as we keep on walking through the park, somebody dug a trench. There was the wolves sort of, yeah. uh, sort of suddenly yeah. came out of the bushes, you know, uh, you know, chasing us around. We have to sort of call for help, you know, and this mm -hmm. sort, of, sort of story you have to, you have to tell eventually how you sort of deliver the product to, to the client. Uh -huh. um, the other area, of course, is actually identifying whose IP it is. Yes, you know, because. Um, it's a, there is a kind of a bit of a tension there that exists between organization like, for example, yourself and your customer. Yep. So on one hand, you kind of specialize in, in delivering certain types of systems for customers and you became good at it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why the customers come to you. Uh, but then the customer gives you a contract and says, anything that you develop belongs to us. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, kind of thing, really, you know, um, you know, that you, you can download the content of your brain uh, to them. Um, <laughs> yep, yes. So from that point of view, and then even if you develop something really innovative for them, you're not able to actually develop something similar, not competitive, to, but for, for another industry or a, a, another client. Mm -hmm. um, so from that point of view, articulating these things and saying, for example, in one of your projects, you kind of developed a game for a client, uh, but in the process, you've developed a really interesting method how to actually make this generic for any game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the client really is not interested how you can do it for any game. He's interested in his outcome, his, outcome, yeah. Yeah, his mm -hmm. own game. But in the process, you've developed some really interesting technologies that actually can be uh, allow you to develop the game in a, in a fraction of time that it will actually previously look different, but at the same time, the mechanism, the engine behind it was, mm -hmm. is different. So articulating these bits, because if you don't look at it from that angle, 
you probably will never kind of think of it that way. But once you see it from the other side, it's almost like having a, a lawyer sort of working, uh, <laughs> finding a, an interesting angle. Yep. In, in terms of the way we work, if, if you're a developer and you've got a great mm. idea out there mm. and, and you think you might be able to make a claim, the yes. starting point is just a catch up. You know, yep. we, we work uh, across Melbourne, but also Sydney and Tasmania. Mm -hmm. So we can, if you're in those areas, we can meet with you face to face. If not, mm -hmm. Microsoft Teams is pretty handy. Yeah, it yep. does the um, job, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it's normally the starting point is around a very high level discussion to talk about all the things we just talked about today. You know, do you broadly satisfy those sorts of criteria? Mm -hmm. If you do, the next step is normally two parts. So technical, so meeting with the people actually doing the dev, mm -hmm. talking technical, getting to the detail and understanding um, making sure that it does meet those criteria okay. and then working with the technical person to prepare the project descriptions and the R&D registration. Um, we also on the other side talk to either the accountant accountant within the business or uh -huh. business manager or business owner if it's just, yes. if it's just you uh -huh. to get the costing information we need to do the claim. Mm -hmm. So we might meet with you once or twice as part of doing a claim but mm -hmm. for a lot of clients we meet very regularly. We're part of the R&D process or mm -hmm. life cycle so we'll meet with you coming quarterly um, if it's not too big a burden, mm -hmm. have a chat about some of the new R&D that you're doing and document it with you in real time mm -hmm. or help you document it in real time okay. um, so that's sort of the way we work yeah and what's sort of the cost to engage an organization like yourself how does it work in terms of structure definitely depends on yeah, okay. an array of yeah. variables broadly it yes. depends on the amount of works so and the number uh -huh. of projects that your your activities you're claiming yes. for will drive how uh -huh. much works involved in preparing the claim get it size of the business if we're talking 500 uh -huh. 5,000 employees the work yes. to prepare a claim for a company mm -hmm. that size vary, is obviously yes. yeah quite yep. different okay um, and we offer different types of fees, so mm -hmm. we, more often than not, we're doing a fixed fee. It's mm -hmm. sort of yeah. based on the amount, amount of time to do the work from okay. um, our end. Mm -hmm. But some clients prefer a contingent fee or a hybrid of both, more mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. time and material. So it really just depends on, okay. on what they prefer. So yeah. if I'm a, a startup about to venture into building technology or a business, what do you recommend? Talk to some R&D people, get up like yourself straight away or just get into the process and say, here you go. The sooner the better. The sooner the better. We talk yep. to people who have ideas mm -hmm. that haven't even started a business yet and yep. it's been, and down the track, mm -hmm. it's been central to the success yes. of them working with a third party or yeah, commercializing their IPs, mm -hmm. putting the structures in place yep. early on and also planning how much they're going to spend mm -hmm when they're fully cognizant of what the R&D tax will give them back. You know, yep. if, the, if you know how much you're going to get back, that really can drive how, how, what types of costs you incur and how much you incur. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. interesting. It changes your decisions and your perspective. At least in, yeah. even from a business perspective, when you think about R&D and what it means, it changes the way you approach things as well. Because yep. you might look at your project in a trivial way, but then you might consider, what about if we did this? We would be eligible R&D, it would be a bit more risky, but a bit more adventurous in terms of what we're doing yeah. and give us maybe more credibility in the marketplace. So it changes your perspective on the way you approach things. So definitely yeah. recommend reaching out to guys at R&D360. So we've covered quite a bit today in the conversation. Alex, um, Caitlin, anything else that you think we could add to this or anything that people need to consider, in the, especially in the startup space? Um, so... Particularly for startups, uh, there is a relatively recent initiative that the Australian government sort of introduced called Early Stage Innovation Company or ESIC. ESIC, which is. ESIC. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So ESIC is, uh, there's always uh, a bit of a criticism of uh, Australian uh -huh. um, government support for uh, startups. 
that we're saying like investors have got no incentives to mm. actually to invest in startups because mm. there's really nothing out there there's nothing to incentivize them with yes so after a lot of to and fro in uh, the the ESIC sort of program was born I think it was about four years ago when actually it was first introduced okay so the idea there is actually it's a the the company needs to qualify to be an early stage innovation company. Uh-huh. So there is a government website that actually says what this company is like. Mm-hmm. But uh, usually it has certain criteria as far as um, when the company was established, uh, how old it is, mm-hmm. uh, also how much revenue it can have before qualifying or not being eligible yes. to be mm-hmm. an ASIC company. Uh, how much investors can actually contribute as a maximum amount to it. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, and how long sort of the, the benefits are actually going to last. So uh, the the way this program actually currently is set up, the in, an investor in an SE company yes. gets a 20% uh, tax offset from their normal assessable income. So for example, if your high net was individual, and uh, you're paying, like, say, 50 cents at a dollar, mm. um, and you invested $100,000 into yes. an ASIC qualified startup, uh-huh. um, you will get uh, $20,000 of your assessable income. Um, okay. So, okay. So, so it's a, some value there, so clearly. It's, some value. it's yeah. Im- immediate value, but the mm-hmm. real value is actually in the second part of it, which is mm-hmm. a more longer term. So mm-hmm. it's, there is a short-term one, so short and term the longer term one. around $10,000 yeah, saving. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. $10,000. Uh, saving. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the longer term one is actually if the company eventually becomes very successful uh-huh. and you are able to sell your shares in that company uh, within ten years since yes. uh, your investment, um, you will get your shares uh, capital gains free. Oh, oh in total. total. In total. Oh well. Yeah, well. In total. That's, yes. So essentially, mm-hmm. you know, normally you would have to pay at your top marginal rate, yes. uh, mm-hmm. which is like fifty cents in a dollar yes. after yep. you kind of sold your shares. Uh-huh. Actually, not fifty. I think it's thirty. Is it? A, is it still like half, and then you pay tax on half? Is that generally the way you work it out? So uh, half of it's tax free, and then the paying uh, tax on half. I mean, half that's probably generally? because it's such a. Yeah. Because it's such a fluid uh-huh. area of legislation, yes. probably yes. better talk to your tax advisor with okay. the normal treatment. Yes, of yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. But from the ESIC point mm-hmm. of view, um, essentially, if you sell those shares that are qualified, when yes. you invested in the company, uh-huh. while it was still an early stage innovation company, so not you took later, the risk. You yeah, invested you at the early stage. So these shares uh-huh. will be actually uh-huh. tax exempt, uh, capital gains tax exempt. That's a huge benefit for yeah. investors yeah. out there and massive so, reward organizations. Yeah. So yeah. essentially, you would consider to be R&D tax mm-hmm. and ESIC for any startup as a part of the call it a, a startup hygiene or mm-hmm. R&D hygiene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any investor that sort of comes in yes. and checks you for, you know, have you done uh-huh. detox, have you done ASIC uh-huh. application, mm-hmm. if you qualify, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some yeah. startups that might not, yes. uh, but uh, that's the first thing that mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, an investor, now, nowadays investors are pretty sophisticated, they will mm-hmm. actually check you out Don't straight away. that. So. Interestingly, the two work hand in hand as well because mm-hmm. the R and D tax can help you mm-hmm. qualify uh, as an ESIC company. So oh, okay. um, that's something. Like, that's where we come in. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously helping you with the R and D claim itself. But mm-hmm. um, there are a number of criteria that you need to consider and, and need mm-hmm. to meet to be eligible mm-hmm. uh, as an ESIC company. But mm-hmm. um, that that is one of them, and it, it is one of the more helpful 
um, stepping stones. Oh, so yeah. we don't need to go into the, the detail of all of the criteria yes. today because there are yeah. different ways you can qualify. Yep. Okay. Um, right. But it's definitely something to have a chat to us about if you think okay. you might. Yeah. Um, I'd definitely agree to for any of the listeners out there. Yeah, look at the race capital. Yeah. It's going to help. Also, also about mm -hmm. the strategy because mm -hmm. there are pretty strict criteria sort of while you sort of, what, the moment you stop being an ASIC company, like for yes. example, your revenue exceeds, let's say a million bucks, mm. um, then um, I can't remember exactly, it could be 300,000, uh -huh. it could be a million. Uh, then after that, you stop being an ASIC company. So any shares issued after that sort of uh, cutoff point, uh -huh. they're no longer eligible, uh, eligible for the benefits. Get it. Uh, so essentially you have to be very smart about mm -hmm when you're going to cross that threshold mm. and potentially get investors on board mm -hmm. earlier yes. before you sort of do it. So it's part of the strategy and uh -huh. uh, just seeing the timing. Sometimes it's really can save companies and investors a lot of money mm. by simply just knowing the rules and uh, complying with them rather than just uh, being babies in the woods and getting yeah. lost there. Just yeah, how to play the game really. Yeah. It all is a game, and yeah. if you're a part of that ASIC accreditation and you've yeah. got shares in that, then if one in ten work, you've just doubled yeah. potentially your return. So yeah. that makes it one in five all of a sudden. So very interesting in terms of what that could yeah. mean. Yeah. Um, Alex and Caitlin, how can people find out about you if they want to get access to what you're doing and have a conversation? So we can definitely yeah. um, provide our yeah. reach out to you. I'm yeah. sure we'll put a link of with our contact yeah. details yeah, um, with the yes. with the podcast. Yes. Um, we've yeah. got a, a yeah. great website, so uh -huh. have a look at our profiles and give us a call. Yeah, perfect. Um, anytime. That sounds yeah. good. Um, Alex, Caitlin, thank you for joining us. Uh, really appreciate you coming in today and just sharing a little bit about R and D, R and D tax incentive, and what that might mean to a business.